Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with the latest edition of the Ion Travel podcast coming from Tampa. Today's conversations with maritime historian Peter Canego on the early demise of cruise ships now sailing to ports in Turkey and India to be scrapped. Ships that you know, ships you've seen, ships that some of you have even cruised on. And speaking of demise, we'll also talk to pilot Patrick Smith, author of Cockpit Confidential, on the sad goodbye to the Queen of the Skies as airlines around the world ground the legendary 747. Last but not least, a chat with journalist Joe Brancatelli, founder of JoeSentMe.com, on what it's like to be not all dressed up and have nowhere to go. First up, Peter Canego says farewell to a number of legendary cruise ships. And joining us now, one of our regulars on the show, for, for, I like to call him our resident maritime historian, Peter Canego. Peter, where are those ships going? Well, uh, unfortunately, there's a, there's a batch of ships that have... Um, arrived already at the port of Aliyah in Turkey, uh, the scrapyard. Uh, Sovereign of the Seas, the first all-new megaship built in 1988. Her sister ship, the Monarch of the Seas, both last sailed as Sovereign and Monarch. Uh, and now today, Carnival Fantasy, the first in the eight-member Fantasy-class ships, uh, 70,000 tonners. These were all the great bright hopes for the cruise industry in the early 90s. These ships represented the, the height of style and the latest and all, all the you know, amenities that you could have at sea. And COVID has doomed them, and they will soon be followed by another whole batch of ships, probably two more of the fantasy-class ships from Carnival. Um, looks like two of the old Fred Olsen ships, the old Royal Viking liners, um, Royal Viking Star and Royal Viking Sky, which last sailed as Black Watch and Boudica 
The latest reports from the UK is that they've been sold for scrap since Fred Olson bought the Rotterdam and Amsterdam from Holland America. And it looks like there's just going to be a gore fest on the beach of Turkey and probably to follow in India. Uh, and it's a very sad time for people who like ships that have a little bit of character that aren't 200,000 tons and that carry 6,000 passengers. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty rough time, and we haven't seen anything like this since 9-11, which doomed a lot of ships. And back in the 70s with the fuel crisis, every ocean liner that was steam-powered pretty much was sent to the scrapyard if it hadn't been converted to a cruise ship. Um, so we'll see how far this goes. Uh, if the cruise industry can't come back soon, I'm afraid there's going to be a lot more ships to follow. Yeah, it's a sad report because I go back to 1988. I was in saint in France when they built the Sovereign of the Seas. I mm. was with them literally in the shipyard as they, they, you know, they laid the keel and then added all the decks. I was on its maiden voyage. I did the same thing with Monarch of the Seas. So to see the video yesterday that was posted on YouTube shot by the crew as they yeah. literally, I'm, I'm not making this up, they literally beached these ships. They literally ran them aground in Turkey on their very last voyage. It was just, it was heartbreaking. Yeah, very sad. Can you imagine being a crew member? Your whole job is to maintain and preserve and keep the ship operating and then to get the orders, okay, run her up on the beach, she's done, you know, and uh, all of a sudden a ship becomes not a living, breathing ship anymore, but just a pile of scrap metal. And those people, all the memories, their work, all gone in that instant, and then hopefully there'll be work for them in the future on other ships. But what a sad process. And until this happened, there was still a lot more life left in these ships. Um, you know, the fantasy was 30 years old, and she was Definitely getting up there, but very popular nonetheless, even though she didn't have a lot of balconies and she was lacking a lot of the amenities that the newer carnival ships had, but she still had a very loyal following and she was perfect for her three and four day cruise market that she was operating. So, And of course, some of these ships were owned by lines that have become insolvent and have no value. Peter, you and I were on a ship, we actually broadcast from the Astoria, the original Stockholm, which is part of the CMV company, which had another six other ships, and that company has now been declared insolvent, so I, I would assume those ships will be heading to the breakers as well. That's really sad. Yeah, I'm hoping maybe one or two of their ships might survive, Peter, but with these ships that are already gone for scrap, it doesn't look good, unfortunately, for CMV. It's going to be really, really tough for these operators of one and two cruise ships that aren't huge, uh, that are sailing in second and third markets. Um, the longer this goes, the more of those lines will be vanishing. My thanks to Peter Conego. Just a few weeks ago, they were flying all over the world, crossing oceans and continents as the queens of the skies. The iconic Boeing 747, the first of the true jumbo jets. Well, not anymore. Patrick Smith talks to me about the sad goodbye of the 747. Joining us now, one of our regulars, of course, the author of Cockpit Confidential, but you can always find him at askthepilot.com. He's the airline pilot extraordinaire. Patrick Smith, how are you, sir? Hi, Peter, and uh, greetings from a very subdued JFK airport. <laughs> it's all subdued, trust me. It, it, I know. It, you know I, I, every time I land at an airport now, I'm expecting to see him Macaulay Culkin, you know, home <laughs> alone. 
a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about today. One thing in particular, which of course is is my you know trip through nostalgia. Uh, in the last two weeks, it's only happened in the last two weeks, um, and of course COVID nineteen being the tipping point. Just about every airline, not all of them, but just about every airline of, of substance uh, grounded their 747s, the queen of the skies, uh, you know, the first of the jumbo jets, the most iconic design plane in our generation, I think. Um, and British Airways, of course, shocking everybody by grounding their entire fleet of 31 of them, never to fly for BA again. Qantas has put their planes on the ground. KLM is about to put theirs on the ground. And the list keeps going. Um, and since there's not really a big secondary market for them, um, they may just all be going to the, uh, to the boneyard. I think you might be right. And, uh, it is really sad, Peter. I mean, a lot has been made about A380s having been grounded during all of this, but, uh, not as much attention put on the 747, which to me is, is unfair. I mean, the 747 being essentially the most influential commercial jet in history and to watch uh, Qantas, uh, KLM, British Airways, all in a matter of weeks, ground their fleets uh, forever. Yeah. And and these carriers were, by the way, uh, among the launch customers of the 7-4. BA, along with Pan, KLM, along with Pan Am. Qantas, and Pan Am. Pan Am um, and had operated them continuously for 50 years. And for it to end like this, it just it seems like the airplane deserved the more more dignified end you know when you think about the history of this plane it truly democratized travel it fought against the tyranny of distance it opened up the world in many cases it made travel affordable um, the tyranny of distance I, I absolutely love that line i'm writing it down as, as you're talking keep going peter <laughs> good okay you can quote me but no it did and and uh you know as when i grew up i mean look i was what, 19 years old when I saw my first 747. It was christened by Pat Nixon, the first lady. It was yep. Pan Am. And uh, I did so many stories on 747s, literally on them, um, all over the world. Um, Pan Am used to have Flight 1 and Flight 2, which in those days really they were the two planes going in different directions around the world. You could literally get on Pan Am Flight 1 and fly it around the world. Um, and everywhere it, everywhere it landed, people would come out to see it. Yeah, and, and something we talked about here before, at a certain point, it wasn't the biggest plane anymore, but it, it was always the most dramatic and, and the most elegant. It was beautiful aesthetically in a way that the A380 uh, can, can never be. And the last and, 747s that are flying as passenger planes in the United States, you and I would have difficulty getting on them, although I have flown them. Uh, and that's the the two planes that are used at the uh, at the air wing at Del at at, uh, at Andrews Air Force Base, and that's Air Force One. Oh, bragging, are we, Peter? Uh yeah. But, but you know what? <laughs> and that plane, the plane that President Trump is on now, this is the one that's the most amazing. Was actually ordered by President Reagan. He never flew it. It right. was delivered in the in the first years of the of the George Herbert Walker Bush administration. And that plane is the one that Trump flies on today. And that plane is 32 years old, and it's brand spanking new. I mean, they keep it in mint condition. Let's just hope that the uh, 
revised paint job that Trump proposed for Air Force One never never quite comes to be. Um, I, I'm quite a fan of the uh, the existing one. It's 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 old school. It's old fashioned, but it it has a certain elegance that uh, I wouldn't want to see replaced with something splashy. And in fact, uh, to put this in perspective, it was designed and it was designed by a designer picked by and then the design approved by Jacqueline Kennedy. Yep, yep. On the and old seven hundred seven. On the old seven hundred seven. You can see that. You can almost sense that when you look at it. There, that, that the aesthetic of the uh, delivery just kind of screams Jackie Kennedy in a way that I can't, I can't quite explain. But. <laughs> well. It's it's a, it's an interesting story because when Reagan was president, he was the one who flew the last of the seven hundred sevens before uh, right. George Bush took over, and I flew on that. And that plane right now is at the Reagan Library in uh, in California. And a couple of years ago, and it's on static display. A couple of years ago, right. I talked to the I I I, I made a, a favor request and they granted it. I went out to the museum, and they opened the plane for me so I could go on it and sit in the seat that I sat in. Wow. That to me was a big deal. I mean, um, and and then when you when you see this today, how small that seven hundred seven is, and, and and considering how many presidents it took around the world, it took Nixon to China, and, you know, it it did it, it, it. Oh, it's amazing stuff against what a seven forty seven looks like and what it can hold. That in itself is staggering. One of the things I always bring up about the seven four that I, I think is one of the most remarkable things is that. At its when it was built, it was more than double the size as any existing airplane at the time, and it went from a literal drawing on the back of a napkin to an actual flying airplane in only two years. Imagine if today you said, "I'm going to build a plane double the size of an A380 and have it flying in two years." I, it's just insane to think about that that actually happened. It is. I mean, it's unthinkable, and yet they did it, um, and it's a design that they later extended. They even shortened it at one point. There was once something called the 747 the SP. SP. Yep. It was a little baby guppy 747 that could literally fly higher and longer than the original 747s. Um, now there are a couple of still around. They're, and they're now used, believe it or not, as personal luxury jets or presidential aircraft in other countries. Uh, and then they extended the 747 to the 747-400 and then... Uh, Lufthansa and a few others have them now as 747-800s with an extended upper deck, uh, beautiful planes, and they're all going to go away. Um, on my website, petergreenberg.com, we're going to list the last airlines around still flying 747s that if you move quickly in the next 6 to 12 months, you can still get on one. That's a great idea, and so people don't have the uh, totally the wrong idea here. We are still going to see 747s for Sometime uh, in the foreseeable future, at least sporadically, Lufthansa, uh, Air China, Atlas Air has a number of 747 freighters, as does uh, Korean Air. I mean, they're still out there, but they're not the the bread and butter uh, transoceanic airplane that they used to be. I remember. Be. I remember American Airlines had the upstairs bubble was basically first class dining with circular tables that popped up from the floor. And they were tables for four, so you actually dined. And then for a very brief period of time, American Airlines, and they were the only airline to do it, and you'll understand why it didn't last very long, they put in the coach section at the end, at the back of the plane, a piano bar. Right. And they thought that was a great idea. And you know who inaugurated that on the first flight? 
it was Frank Sinatra Jr. and his orchestra flew from <laughs> L.A. to New York on American Flight 10, which is a red eye. Can you imagine people going nuts that night trying to sleep? And that piano bar only lasted about four months because every 11-year-old kid would go back there during the flight and try to play chopsticks, and people were going absolutely out of their minds. But the point is, in those days, weight and balance being what it wasn't and space being what it was, you could have upstairs dining. You could have a piano bar. Those days, of course, were long expired. But for those people listening, if you've never been on a 747, try to get on one while you still can. And for those of us who've been on them, I guarantee you, we're going to be looking at the airline schedules to see if we can get at least one more ride out of it, just, just for old time's sake. My thanks to Patrick Smith. Most of the world won't accept Americans as visitors. We're stuck at home. But as journalist Joe Bancatelli says, we're all undressed and we have nowhere to go. So what's the answer? What's going to get us to travel again? Joe thinks it has a lot to do, still, with testing. He's the author of JoeSentMe.com, a great website and travel resource. And uh, his name, of course, Joe Brancatelli. How are you, sir? Uh, hello, Peter. It's good to be with you. Sorry about being in Tampa, but happy for you at the same time. No, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not upset. I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm wearing a mask. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm washing my hands. I'm following all the protocols. And, you know, if everybody would do that, we wouldn't necessarily have the spike in cases that are that are going on right now. Uh, you know, you wrote some. You, you wrote something recently. I'm going to quote you um, because it described me to a T until this trip. All not dressed up and nowhere to go, <laughs> because there was nowhere to go, and and you know, no reason to you know to get dressed either. Uh, right now, we're in this terrible sort of like nether world where. The states that opened up too soon are paying the price. Uh, the, the the number of cases is still spiking. Uh, people still want to exercise their freedom to travel, but I don't think they should be exercising their freedom to be stupid. Um, and you know, and everybody, as you know, is uh, sitting on the edge of their seats waiting for either really workable therapeutics or a scalable vaccine. And the problem with that, Peter, is, as you know, and I'm sure you've spoken to the experts as I have, a vaccine could be announced tomorrow, or it could be announced a year from tomorrow, or never. We, we have no vaccine for AIDS, and that's 35 years now. Uh, I think a better way to go is more testing. I know that makes the president unhappy uh, for reasons known only to himself. But if, if I'm a tourist board of a country, Spain, Italy, Bali, doesn't matter what country, you know, Hong Kong again, if we ever get to go back to Hong Kong, I would be figuring out a way to invite people back into the country. All comers are welcome to come. But when you arrive at the airport, we're going to test you. And for 24 hours, if you, we can't have an immediate test, you have to agree to be somewhere we tell you. And if you test negative... Enjoy the country. Obviously, stay masked, keep social distancing, but welcome to the country. If you test negative, we'll arrange to either hospitalize you, a positive, arrange to hospitalize you, or send you home safely. But we, the travel industry cannot survive in, in this netherworld where the airlines are doing about 25% of the volume 
I saw today that 90% of the hotels in Rome are still closed. Spain's uh, hotel occupancy is off 55% for the first half of the year, and that's a country that gets 12% of its economy from tourism. The netherworld is not sustainable if you want to have a travel industry. And then, of course, you know, beware the law of unintended consequences with every country in the world. I won't say every country, but most countries in the world making it very difficult or impossible for us to visit them right now. Uh, Americans are finally getting a chance to rediscover their own country if they do it responsibly. Yes, but I've now we've got a special coronavirus page up that Joe sent me. It's uh, free for everybody for all the resources. I had to add a section about intra-United States restrictions. About 25 out of the 50 states now have restrictions. In the New York metropolitan area, where both you and I hailed from, uh, that includes New Jersey and Connecticut, 31 states, people who are coming from 31 states, the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico now must quarantine for 14 days on arrival. You can't have a, tra- you can't have a tourism industry in New York when 31 of the 50 states will not, cannot just come and hang around town and spend their money in whatever hotels and restaurants are open. So it's not just the world. We can't even travel in America anymore comfortably and wisely. Well, you know, it's interesting you mention that because I know that when I leave Florida and fly back to New York, when I get off that plane, there's going to be somebody there to make me sign a form explaining who I am, my contact number, where I was in Florida, where I'm going to be in New York, and to certify that I will self-quarantine for 14 days. But here's my question. Who's going to enforce that? And and what's the structure that they're using to make sure that they have proper follow-through and tracing? And I'm not so sure it's in place. I don't think it, it's not as... In, <laughs> New York is always New York, Peter. It's always chaotic. But the state that did it first and second, Alaska and then mostly Hawaii... Now, there's a totally tourist-oriented state, okay? There is no other industry of note in Hawaii except tourism. They have volunteers watching out for you, watching the beaches, because you must quarantine for 14 days uh, when you arrive in Hawaii. No ifs, no ands or buts. You have to give them your cell phone number, and they check that you've given them the correct cell phone number before you leave the airport. So it can be done, but... Just because you can force people to quarantine for 14 days, that will sadly destroy both the tourism economy and the economy in general if you can't travel within the United States. And I understand it completely. The virus doesn't worry about state lines. Right. But this is simply not sustainable. And while I understand it's a problem, at a certain point, the travel industry has to do it for themselves. They can't keep hoping for the next bailout or the next person to help them. If I'm a state tourist board, or an international tourist board, or an airline even, do it yourself. It's cheaper than having no business. My thanks to Joe Brancatelli, to Patrick Smith, and to Peter Canego. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more interviews of the world's leaders on travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, make sure to subscribe, rate, or review the Ion Travel podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. You can also go to petergreenberg.com for the latest in travel news updates. 
If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.